I believe what we're going to talk about today is one of the biggest tools that the enemy uses in the church to cause the people of God to stumble. And so this is so critical uh, for us today. We're in the middle of a series called Christianity Light, and we've been talking about how so much of the teaching in Christianity in America today has become diluted, it's altered, it's watered down to please everyone. And, and it's, it's true that many churches have lost their relevancy. And, and I agree that in church, we need to make changes as, as times around us change. We need to upgrade things from time to time from, from the way we used to do things. But the, honestly, I re- believe, though, that the reality is the church often in many ways has upgraded. Has, we have changed from 30 or 40 years ago. I have no problem with the concept of change and changing how we do things and how we look at things. But, when you, but as you're making those changes, one of the things that has to uh, remain constant is that you, change, you can change all the methods you want, but you cannot change the message. That is the part that has to be constant. If you preach the whole gospel to people in this world, at some point or another, you're going to have to confront people face to face and tell them that they have to change in order to follow Jesus. That is absolutely essential to true Christianity. Those There are people out there that say, just confess Jesus and then you can live any way you want and grace will cover it. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. No matter how friendly a church wants to be sooner or later, You're going to have to present the conditions that Jesus laid out for us to be his disciples. Because here's the truth, and this is something may sound a little shocking, but I want you to understand it. But it really is relevant in today's culture. Jesus did not come to be your pal. He came to be your Lord. He came to be your ruler. He came to take over. Somebody say amen. So today we are dealing with another area of Christianity, light and And we're going to be talking about being saved without offense. And as I said a few moments ago, I believe taking offense is one of the greatest tools the enemy uses to cause the people of God to stumble and to lose out with God. We we get offended and then we walk away from everything. And so this is a really, really important. Here's the truth. Everybody in this room, everybody watching the live stream, all of us, have been offended at one time or another. Isn't that right? Anybody here been offended? Let me see your hand. You ever been offended in your life? Yeah. If you haven't, then you probably just, you know, have never actually heard anybody speak to you because somebody is going to offend you. In fact, the truth is many of us are still offended. So we're going to be talking about that. Before we get into the word, would you bow your head and let's pray together? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us today. Lord, this message is so important. What you want to do is so important, God, and I am so completely inadequate, and I know that, I admit that, not just to you, but in front of everybody in this place, I am inadequate. But God, I know this, I know that in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. So God, I pray that somehow you would take these words, you would anoint them with the power of your spirit, and make them come alive. Let them explode in our hearts in such a way, Lord God, that you set people free today, Lord God in this place, and on the live stream. We thank you for what you're going to do. We believe you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You know what amen means? So be it. Or I agree. Either one. You know, some people think it's just like hitting send on the email to God. But that's not what it means. It's saying, Lord, let it be. 
if it's your will. So anyway, if, if you're going to be a Christian, here's what I know. You're going to be offended. At some time or another, you're going to be offended. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to surprise you when I read who's going to offend you and what we talk about. But, and we're going to talk about this. We're going to deal with several areas. But I want to start today by talking about a story from when Jesus was just a baby. He was only eight days old from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 27, or excuse me, through 33. Let's read it together. Luke 2, 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. So I just want to notice something here that it's kind of ironic that Mary and Joseph are bringing God to church, right? Jesus is God in the, in the flesh. They're bringing God to church, but nobody recognizes him. They don't know who he is. Why? It's because he looked differently than they expected him to look. And, you know, we assume that God is supposed to look to us as if uh, in a certain way. And if he and if he looks any different than our expectations, then we assume that it's not him. And, and, and here he is. He's appearing as a child and nobody even senses that God has just come into the room. And as, as they come in there, there is Simeon and Simeon is He's going to grab the baby. He's going to start praying. Let's keep reading. He says he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Listen to this. He's, he's prophesying here. He says, he is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Now, they, they knew he was a miraculous child, but they didn't. They didn't fully grasp and understand the whole plan of God in this situation. But Simeon, though, he was right on with everything he said. And he sang this to Mary and Joseph. But look what else he said. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and, said, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to, fall, to fail, excuse me, to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very, very soul. What he's saying is that Jesus is coming to tear some things down and he's coming to build some other things up. Jesus is, is coming. He's going to cause some people, he says, he's going to cause some people to be offended. Jesus is going to deal with areas in your life. He's going to confront uh, areas of your life. He's going to make people mad. He's going to offend people. He's going to make people upset. He's going to irritate people when he speaks the truth to them. He has come to correct us, but the problem with us is we don't like to be corrected. Anybody here, anybody here, you enjoy being corrected? Okay. There's one person. He shook his head. He shook it off. Nobody likes it, right? Nobody likes to be corrected. But, but, but when he comes and he deals in our lives, sometimes what he does and what he says is actually going to be offensive to us. How in the world do we get offended with God? Well, the first thing is we get offended when God doesn't do what we think he should do. Sometimes we get offended when, when God doesn't do 
what we think he should do. What, ha- what happens is this. Look at what it says in Matthew eleven six. It says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That was Jesus speaking. Here's what happens in our lives. Someone is delivered. Some people are delivered. And then other people are not. For example, we read about the, the story about how God delivered Daniel from the mouths of the lions in the lion's den. Right. We know that we rejoice about that. We're amazed at how God delivered Daniel from the lions. But you know what? We also know from history that there were many, 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 many Christians who were thrown to the lions and killed in the Roman Colosseum. And God did not deliver them. What's up with that? Why would God deliver one person and not the others? Most of you know that Hebrews 11 is is known as the faith chapter. It's a chapter filled with all kinds of encouraging stories and powerful examples of faith. Um, and, and it's filled with the names of people who walked in faith and, and tells about how God gave them these unbelievable victories. It says in, in Hebrews eleven thirty three, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? But you know what it also says, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Listen, I I don't know what you're going to walk through in your life. In fact, I don't know what I'm going to walk through in my life. But here's what I have to remember, what we have to remember. Don't get offended when God does something for someone else that he doesn't do for you. You know, we say, oh, my, my mama died. But, but your mama didn't get, uh, your mama lived. You know, I prayed for my mama and she died and you, you prayed for yours and she lived. And, you know, there was a lady down the hallway in the hospital was in a coma from a drug overdose and she came out of it, but my mama died. Well, you could be offended by that. Or you could look at that and say, I don't understand it, God, but I'm willing to trust you. I don't know why one person lives and another person dies. It's a mystery to us because we can't see the things that God sees and we don't know the things that God knows. You know, a a couple weeks ago, I told you a story about Charles Greenaway, the great pioneer missionary in Africa. Remember the story about him and and the witch doctor? It's a great story, but there's another story that I heard him tell. It was while he was over in Africa, he he and his wife had a, a small son, a young boy, And he got very, very sick. I don't remember what disease he got. I don't even know if Charles Greenaway knew. He just got very, very sick. And he was so sick. But they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for this this little boy. But eventually, his little boy passed away. He died. Well, Charles Greenaway, as you can imagine, even though he's a great man of God, he really struggled with that. I mean, you can imagine if you lost your child, especially after going to another 
another land as a missionary and, and you're serving God and you're being obedient to God and then your child dies, it's, 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 you, he struggled with that. He could not understand why the Lord didn't heal his boy. After all, he had traveled halfway around the globe just to be obedient to the Lord and now his son was dead. Well, one day while he was dealing with that, he was struggling with it. He was wrestling over that stuff and, and he was on the porch and he had this little, little house, little home overlooking the African plains and his heart was just breaking. And as he sat there, it was, uh, it was evening and he could look up. He could see the stars. He could see all of these things. It was beautiful. And he sat there and he, and he, he cried out to God in his pain. And, and he eventually in his prayer, he said, God, I don't understand why my son had to die. But then he said, but God, I won't go to hell over a mystery. I thought, how powerful is that? There are things in this life that we don't understand. God has reasons that we can't comprehend. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I don't have answers for you about the mysteries of your life and why things happen. I can't tell you why. I don't know why God does some things for some people and not for others. I can't begin to claim to know God's plan and all of those things, but here's what I do know. I know that God rewards you according to how you respond to the life that He's given to you. I know that He's a good God and His mercies are new every morning. We talked about that just a moment ago. I know that, he, that if He doesn't deliver me out of the storm, then He'll carry me through it. I know that God rewards those that don't give up in the face of heartache and trial. I know that God is a faithful God and He rewards those who are faithful to Him. And listen, you, you don't try to measure God's goodness by comparing what He's done for someone else to what He's done for you. Don't get offended when God does something for someone else that he doesn't do for you. You know, the Bible gives us many, many names for God. And each, each name that he, he's, it's given to us, it's, it's used to describe part of his character, part of his power. So we know that he's Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, my provider. Yes, he, he says that. But you know what? I can't pay my bills. He's also Jehovah Shalom. He's, he's the Lord, our peace. Well, yeah, but I don't have any peace. I'm just going from storm to storm to storm. He's Jehovah Rapha. That means he's the Lord, my healer. He says my healer, but you know what? I'm sick all the time. He's Jehovah Rohe. That means he's the Lord, my shepherd. Well, if he's my shepherd, shepherds take care of the sheep, and I don't feel like he's taking care of me. You, you didn't get the deliverance that somebody else got. So what are you going to do? Are you going to get offended? Shake your fist at God and, and, and quit the church? I mean, how many people have you met or have you known that are mad at God because He didn't do what they wanted Him to do and they're offended? After all I've done for you, Lord, you, you, you know, you couldn't just do this one little thing? I'm out of here. We have people that left, have left the church. We have people that have left God behind because they got offended because God didn't do what they thought He should have done in the way they thought he should have done it, when they thought he should have done it. Let me explain to you how, how scary this really is. The word offend, as it's often used in the Bible, comes from a Greek word, scandalon. Everybody say scandalon. You can, you can imagine some of the derivations of that word that we get, but the word originally referred to the part of a trap to which the bait was attached. 
And in the New Testament, it often describes an entrapment by the enemy in our lives. Let me show you what scandalon means. Here on the screen, you'll see a picture. That's a, that's a coyote trap. Uh, Lee could have used one last, last week, uh, uh, but, but you'll have to ask him about that story. But, but, it, but that's a coyote trap right there. And, and you see right in the middle of the picture, you see that, that middle, metal plate right in the middle of the trap. The Greeks would refer to that as the scandalon. That's the piece in the middle of the trap that, that trips the spring and causes the trap to snap shut. That's the scandalon. Listen to how big offense is. We, th- we think offense is just being upset and mad, and, and, but it's not really going to hurt me because I'm, I'm just angry, I'm just ang- upset, I'm just mad. No, taking offense hurts you. Holding a grudge hurts you. Unforgiveness destroys you. When you take offense, what it means is that you have stuck your hand down into the trap and you've grabbed a hold of something and now that trap has snapped shut on you. When you take offense, spiritually, you, you have these traps hanging all over you. And this trap of offense now puts you in bondage and it stops you in your tracks. Listen, taking offense is a huge, huge deal. This is what it looks like when you reach in to take hold of offense. I want you to watch this. Okay, that's what I affectionately re- re- referred to as a knucklehead. <laughs> but but you see you see how devastating that was, and that's what offense does. It's reaching in, and you and and you snap the trap closed right on your on yourself, and it's painful. But 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 watch, I'm not through with that because after you've been offended. What happens? Your tongue has to start wagging about it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you, you say, you, now, you know, you get offended and now you go to other people and you're like, oh, you won't believe what that, what so-and-so said to me. You won't believe what so-and-so did to me. I, I don't have to take that. This, this ain't going to happen anymore. I'm not going to be anybody's doormat. I'm telling you what, they are such a so-and-so and they go on and on and on and on we go. So when you start talking about how you're offended and what that person did. What happened is you've just walked into another trap. And here's where this trap goes. Watch this. Oh! oh the liquid that came off. So gross. You're sucking it out. Like, give me my tongue back. <laughs> All right, so there's 13 seconds of your life you'll never get back. This is a special thanks to the slow-mo guys on YouTube for that one. Again, knuckleheads. But there you go. Now you got a trap on one part of your body hanging off because you grabbed the offense, and now you got a trap on your, on your tongue. You, you've got a trap here. you got one on your mouth, and this is just how serious it is. This is not... A game. This is serious stuff. This causes damage to your life. Jesus said we're supposed to be different than the world. What's it like in the world? The world says, <clears throat> you hit me, then I'm going to hit you. The world says, you talk about me, I'm going to talk about you. 
The world says, you see me, sue me, I'm going to sue you. Re revenge is big, big business in the movies, isn't it? You know, and, and, and what we do is you see revenge all the time and we pretend like that's justice. Revenge is not justice. You know, we, I'm as guilty as you. I watch some movie that some vigilante goes and instead of doing what the law requires, they take it into their own hands and the end we're all clapping and going, yeah, that's revenge. That's not justice. Offense is always connected to bondage. Remember that. When you pick up an offense, you're moving into bondage every single time. You need to know that. Here's something you may not realize. Offense doesn't just come from other people. Sometimes, as we've already mentioned, some, some, some opportunities to be offended come from Jesus. <clears throat> what did I just read to you? Jesus said, don't get offended because of me. Let's look into scripture, some scripture to see uh, what we're talking about here. Matthew 11, verses 7 through 10. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? He's talking about John the Baptist here. Was, was he a weak reed? That means effeminate, swayed by every breath of wind. Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare a way, your way before you. Okay, so here we have John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah, right? Before Jesus came around and started preaching, John the Baptist was the big evangelist. He, he was the biggest thing going. John the Baptist would preach and huge crowds would show up out in the middle of the wilderness. Before Jesus drew large crowds, it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was blessed with the privilege of introducing the Son of God to the world. There's no one else that will ever be able to take his place. There's no one else that, that will ever even have the opportunity to do that. As he stood there, in essence, he was saying, Ladies and gentlemen, I have with me here on the hill to the left, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Would you welcome him into the world? That was his job. That's John the Baptist. So I would say that of all, out of all the people in the world, John the Baptist would know who Jesus is. Wouldn't you agree with me? He would know. Now, remember what I just told you. What kind, of, what kind of man is he? John the Baptist, you know, he didn't look like a preacher. He, he, you know, we want to judge people that don't look like a preacher. I don't like the way that preacher dresses. Look at that pastor's wife. I don't know what she's wearing, but she shouldn't wear that up there. I, I don't know what these people are doing here. I don't like this music. I don't like that. I don't like this. Well, John the Baptist didn't look like a man of God. You understand that a priest in that day wore priestly garments and the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders all had their, their nice clothing, the religious emblems that they would wear. Here's John the Baptist. He's preaching, but he doesn't have any of those priestly garments. You know what? He, he was out there with a camel hair coat on. His hair's all wild and his breath smells like locusts and honey because that's what he ate. And he's out there saying, repent. Listen, honestly, if, if you were talking with John the Baptist and somebody looked like that told you you repent, you'd probably repent too. So, you know, we, we just, we get into more into decorum and dress than sometimes more than we do even a word from God. 
we can get sideways on little things and we can miss the important things. Well, somebody was sitting in my seat today. I had to make them move. It was too cold. It was too hot. It was too loud. It wasn't loud enough. This is what I learned a long time ago. You just can't please everybody. We, we get so sideways on what we see and on what happens that sometimes we miss God and we don't hear the word that he has for us. And Jesus was talking to these people. He said, forget about the way he looks. Forget about how John the Baptist looked. Forget about all of those things. What did he talk about? What did he say? And after all of that, Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, 11, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. John the Baptist didn't look like a preacher. He was the least likely to be chosen by God to be the forerunner of Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't call men with great educational qualifications. He chose 12 men right out of the world. Understand that Jesus is no respecter of persons. What that tells me is that God can do great things inside of you and through you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how little you think of yourself, how little education you have. God can use you. If he can use those 12 men, he can use you. But let me get into offenses now. The, the reason I shared what Jesus said about John the Baptist is because it really sets up the story that I want to talk about. He introduces Jesus to the world. John the Baptist introduces him. He baptizes him. You know, and we know the story. He's baptized him. The Spirit came down, rested on him. The voice of God, speak, the Father speaks from heaven. By the way, some of you may not realize, probably most of you know, but you may not realize that Jesus... And, the, and John the Baptist were cousins. So, so there, there was a, a connection there. Even more, they were family. Anyway, John the Baptist was eventually thrown in jail. He's in prison. He's put in, put in prison by King Herod, who hates him. And his wife hates him even more. Well, John the Baptist may have, been, may have started feeling a, a little bit entitled to getting some special privileges from Jesus because... He's his cousin, you know, and, and by the way, I did introduce him into the world. So I feel like I have a little bit of an in, in with him. So you, you just you know, listen, you have to watch yourself when you begin to feel that way, because in those in those moments where you feel like God owes you something, that's when you're the most likely to get offended by God. It seems as if John the Baptist might be just a little bit offended. He's in prison and he sends some of his men to Jesus. Let's let's read what happened. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, listen to this question. Knowing who John the Baptist is, knowing what his ministry was, he says, are you the coming one or do we look for another? That's amazing. Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John thing, uh, the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John says, are you, are you the Messiah? Or should we keep looking? What do you mean keep looking? I mean, he was, he was emceeing the whole arrival. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. That's John the Baptist. And now he's like, are you him? I mean, what's up with that questioning? You know what? When you get offended, you start questioning. They ask, are you the Messiah? And Jesus tells them, go tell John what you've seen. 
the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are being healed, the, the deaf hear, dead people are being raised to life, and, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then Jesus added at the end of that, he said, blessed are, tell him this, he said, tell John, blessed are those that are not offended. Blessed are those that are not offended, John. Now why would John be offended at this response? Well, you have to go back to the Old Testament. Because Jesus is quoting a passage right out of the Old Testament that talks about the coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament passage says all the things that the Messiah would do, and all the things the Messiah would do were the things that Jesus was doing. The blind would see, the lame would walk, sick people would be healed, deaf ears would be opened, dead people would, be come, back, would come back to life, and the good news would be proclaimed to the poor. That's what it says in the Old Testament, and Jesus is saying, tell John this is happening. But the thing is, though, what we don't see, if you don't pay attention, is that the passage from the Old Testament also added something else that Jesus left out. In the original Old Testament scripture, it says that the Messiah would also proclaim freedom to those in prison. Where was John? He's saying, John, I am the Messiah, but you're going to die in prison. I'm coming to, bring, coming to bring freedom, but you're not going to experience that freedom from this prison cell. Don't be offended but I am the Messiah, just trust me. He says, John, you know who I am, but just because I set you, don't set you free from prison, it does not change who I am. John may have felt offended because he thought that he deserved some special consideration for his situation. <clears throat> After all, he was the forerunner. He was the MC, so to speak. He was Jesus' cousin. Surely I deserve to have my prayer answered. Surely I deserve to be set free from prison. I introduced you to this world, I, and that should give me some special place. Well, he had to get over that. When you have an expectation that God owes you something because of what you've done or because of who you are, you, you may be disappointed if God has different plans for you, and it's at that time you can get easily offended. Let's go a little deeper. Look at the story of Lazarus from John 11. <clears throat> We're not going to read the whole story. Most of you know it. Two sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Not just your friend, but your dear friend. Not just an acquaintance, but your dear friend. And although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stays where he is for two more days. Two more days. I don't think you're getting this, so let me help you understand this. Let's say my wife calls me and she says, Dave, I don't know, I don't know what's wrong. I feel like I'm blacking out. I, I, I can't get out of bed. I, I, don't, I don't think I can even move. I've thrown up several times. I, I, I feel like I've got a really high fever. I'm sweating. I've got chills. I don't know what's wrong, but something is really, really wrong. And I answer the phone and I answer her message by saying, okay, okay, all right, I'll see you in two days. I'll see you day after tomorrow. I'll be there. Um, listen, how many of you know that's not going to fly? She's going to be offended, and I'm going to be dead. <laughs> that's just the way it's going to go. You know, you know, for me to say, yeah, okay, yeah, you're really sick. I'll be there in a couple days. 
Jesus stays two more days instead of going to his dear friend and the sisters get a little, little bit offended. You know why she's offended? She's offended because <clears throat> that man, Jesus, used to stay at my house. I have opened my house to him. I have cooked meals for him. I let that man sleep in, our, in a bed in my house. I have done all this. I, hey, I was the head of this inter intercessory prayer team when he did his revival in, a, in his city. I've done all this for him. And when I just wanted one little thing from him, he's healed other people. And I just wanted one little thing for him and he won't come. I'll tell you why I'm upset. Look at the story, John eleven twenty. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha went out to meet Jesus, but not Mary. Well, Mary's upset. Both of them really questioned Jesus. Both of them, the first thing they said was, Jesus, if you'd just been here. But Mary is like, no, I'm not going out there. I'm not going to go out there to meet him. All, after all that stuff that I've done for him, he could have come two days earlier. He could have healed my brother. In fact, we've seen him heal from a distance. He could have done it, but he didn't heal my brother at all. And Jesus, he's over there thinking to himself, who cares? You've already seen me heal everybody, but you know what? You haven't witnessed the resurrection yet. Let me raise that boy up and do something big. I don't want to give Lazarus just a sick being healed testimony. You can't get on TV with a sick testimony, but you can get on TV with a resurrection. You know, I was like, tell us your story. Well, me, I, I was, my throat was sore. I was a little scratchy and raspy and I could hardly swallow and I feel better now. Okay, well, thank you. What happened to you, sir? Well, I was dead and I was brought back to life. Okay, you win, <laughs> you know. That's just a better story. Most of us already know that God doesn't give us everything we want. He'd be a terrible father if he did. What many of us haven't thought about is that God sometimes give us, gives us what we don't want. The question is, are you going to be offended when God gives you something you don't want? Gets even better. Look at this one. Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. She begs him to cast out the demon, and she's not even asking for herself. Now, now I said earlier that we get offended when God doesn't do what we think he should do. He, he, well, he should have done this, but he didn't. So now I'm mad, and then we storm out. Uh, you know, We're like, fine, I'm not giving anything in the offering then. I'll sit in church, but I'm not going to praise you. Well, you can't do that because when you do, that's when you're grabbing the trap. Look at what Jesus does. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. He ignored her. That's another way of saying it. He ignored her. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Jesus said that. Why on earth would he, would he say that? You know, he says, I'm the light of the world. And then you're a dog. Tell me how you'd react. How would you react to that? I mean, you come to me and say, Pastor, 
Would you pray, not, not for me, but pray for my child who's sick. If I looked at you and say, ah, nah, you know, I'm going to pray for my family. I've got enough to deal with. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't pray for dogs. You know, you probably, you'd be like, what, what, what did you say? Excuse me, excuse me, did you just call my child a dog? What do you, what do you, well, who do you think you are? You would flip out, wouldn't you? You have to choose not to pick up the offense, you know. Truth is, when it comes to name calling, I've been called all kinds of things. I've had all kinds of things said about me. I'm sure you have too, you know. I've had people uh, even question my salvation when I was their pastor. It was funny because they didn't leave the church. I'm like, I'm always thinking, I sort of laughed at that because I was like, well, you know, if you really didn't think your pastor was saved, why in the world would you stay under his teaching? But but they just didn't like some of the changes. That's a different thing. I've had people say things like that. I've had people call me names. But, but that, does, that, does that mean I'm going to go out and fight you because you said something mean? No. Am I going to lose my salvation because you do something mean and hateful? No. No. In fact, with that person, God made me do the opposite. When I'd see them in, come into the church, he told me that I had to. Because I, I argued with him a little bit. But he told me, whenever you see her, you go straight up to her, give her a hug, and tell her you love her. And I did that. And it, was, it got to be kind of fun because it sort of was fun watching her squirm. <laughs> but that's a different story altogether. But you see what I'm saying? We, we, we just have to get over these petty offenses because God's trying to do something a lot bigger in us. See, th this story, this part is in the Bible for a reason. What Jesus said was really offensive. It was, it was almost uh, judgmental. It was one race against another race, the Jews uh, against the, these Gentiles. And, 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 it, and it was, but, but watch what happens to the lady who just got called a dog. Verse 27. She replied, That's true, Lord. <laughs> now, now, how many of you, if you get called a dog, you're going to say, Thank you? That's true. That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Wow. What a comeback. It was so good, in fact, that Jesus, in essence, said, good answer. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. You see, she did not grab the bait. Listen. There are times in your life God is going to say things to you that may offend you. He's going to speak to you and he's going to say words to you to test you. He's going to ask you to do things that will offend you. Like, for example, when he told me, you go hug that woman who is speaking behind your back and saying ill things against you. That was offensive to me to have God say, go hug her. He's going to say things to test us. He's going to say hard things to help you find out what's in your heart. He's going to try to offend you in your mind to see if you love those that spitefully use you and, to ser and serve those that are unkind to you, to see if you can show kindness to those that say untrue and, and, and hurtful things about you, even when they don't really know you. Let me give you another story. Notice it's Jesus here offending people. It's not the devil. The devil will tempt you to pick up an offense. And sometimes he will, you know, he may try to offend you, but... It's Jesus here saying hard things to people. Here's another one. Mark 12, 46. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus asked, 
who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now listen, if my mom were here today and she walked in the back and she saw Gerald Raymer back there and she said to Gerald, she said, hey, I'm Pastor Dave's mother and, and I'd like to talk with him. Can you go get him? Say I was in my office or something. I'd like to talk with him. So Gerald comes up to me and he says, Pastor Dave, your mom is here and she'd like to talk to you. And I look at Gerald and I say, who is my mother? She'd be in the back of the sanctuary and Gerald would go back and she'd say, what, what did he say? And he'd, Gerald would say, well, he, he just said, who's my mother? And she'd be like, who is his mother? Somebody get me a frying pan. Somebody get, go get me a switch. Find me a, 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 a Hot Wheels track, something. I'm going to beat this boy. Who is his mother? Who does he think he is? I'm going to hit him. Now, but do we ever read that Mary was offended? No, we never read that she was offended. What happens to us? You know, you, know, you want to talk to your kid and they look at you and say, Mom, I, I just don't have time to talk. I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't have time. And you look at them and you say, listen, as you've heard many times, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out and make another one just like you. Right. Let me let me let me move on. I'll give you the last one. I want to look at Peter. How can you tell when a disciple has been offended? What's the real sign that someone has been offended? We're, we're going to get into this story and find out. This is a story. Uh, uh, it, it happens when Jesus is arrested. It was after the Last Supper. Then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where they arrested him in the middle of the night. Matthew 26, 57. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Look at verse 58. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance. You can always tell when someone has been offended because they distance themselves from the person that offended them. Whether that's a, another human being or it's God, they will distance themselves. Look, look at any relationship. You can see this. You, you and your wife, you know, you get into some little spat and you don't deal with it before you go to sleep. What happens? Well, what happens that night is you and your wife are both asleep on the very edge of either side of the bed. The rule is you can't touch each other. If you touch each other, it's just going to ignite a flame. It's just, you know, get away from me. Don't touch me. Stay on your side of the bed. I need some space. Give me some room here. But offended followers follow from a distance. Well, I got hurt at church. Well, where are those people? Well, they're anywhere but church. One sign that you're holding an offense against somebody is that when you see them, you immediately have a negative thought. You immediately have these negative emotions and you, and you immediately want to avoid them. You want to run away and hide and not deal with them at all. You know this is true. So you hear that Sister Shoutabout has, you know, been saying some things about you behind your back that are not very kind. And she's really nice to your face, but, but you know that she gossips about you behind your, your back. So you, you're in Walmart, you're tooling along, and since we're in the South, you're pushing your buggy. See, if you're further north, you'd be pushing a cart. But now here we push buggies. 
Well, you say, I, under, I know this. I've been in the South long enough. So you're pushing your buggy along at Walmart and, and you're, you're getting all your groceries and you, you come around the, uh, the end of one aisle and you turn the corner and lo and behold, oh my, there she is, sister shout about in the Walmart aisle. And you're like, oh Lord, and what do you do? You're like, you're like, mm, whoa. You're, you're getting out of there, aren't you? You don't want to deal with her. You don't want to see her because you're still offended. You haven't dealt with that. You haven't come to grips with what's going on. And, and we, you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to forgive. But we got to remember, we cannot have a higher standard for forgiveness than Jesus. We can't say, well, I'm not going to forgive ever because that's not the standard Jesus set. You can't set a standard and say, Jesus says, I will forgive you because of what I did on the cross. And you can't say, I need something more than that before I'm going to forgive. While Jesus was hanging out on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But how far from that are we? They were nailing him to a cross and he was saying, forgive them. None of us here are going on a cross. But, but, we, but we still have so often that hair-trigger temper. And we grab hold of every offense that comes our way. And when we grab hold of an offense, we're sticking our hands in that trap. We're sticking our hands in that trap. So how do we deal with, with offense? I'm going to give you the answer, and then we're going to be done this morning. How do we get rid of an offense? Here's the answer. We're going to come to an altar in, in a few moments and we're going to get totally set free. Listen, you need to know you are going to get hurt by people for the rest of your life. It's going to happen. Somebody is going to say something. Somebody maybe in your family is going to do something. Uh, and, and I can't tell you, it would be wrong for me to tell you that it won't happen. It will happen. And I can tell you it will happen because we live in a broken world that's being run by people with sinful natures. The, the thing is, Jesus says, okay, yes, these things will happen. Yes, you will be offended. Yes, people will do things that will, that will hurt you. But Jesus says, we, by His grace and by His power, are to live above that. God is not the God of mediocrity or the God of average or the God of maintained. He wants to, us to go to a whole new level. When people are, are acting like that, when people are doing things that offend you, the answer is forgiveness. Now, I'm going to hear it tell you, the answer is simple, but it's not easy. You know the difference, right? There are many things in life that are simple, but they're not easy. Golf is simple. You hit the ball in the hole. It's not easy. So the concept is simple. Forgiveness, we understand it. It's not complicated. It's that we're going to, we're going to forgive their, they don't owe us anything. That's the whole idea. We forgive the debt. That's, that's the, the, the simple nature of it. But that doesn't mean it's easy. But the truth is one of the most powerful words in all of the world is forgiveness. Many of you will remember the man known as the Facebook killer back in 2017. He was, it was in Ohio. 
this man shot Robert Godwin uh, in cold blood on, and streamed it live on Facebook just because he wanted to shoot him. And they interviewed Robert Godwin's daughters following the murder, and I want you to see what they said. Watch this short video. Um, right now, we haven't slept or haven't eaten. We are very much in shock, being that my father was such an honest man that didn't drink, didn't smoke, no crime. He was just picking up cans. So we beyond shocked. It just feels like our heart is just ripped out of our chest, like for somebody to brutally murder my father like that. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So I just, I can't put it into words. I saw the video in it forever would be in my mind um, because I saw the fear in my father's eyes. He was so afraid. He was so afraid. So sweet. He just was content. He was a happy person. He was a loving person. He was a family man. And he, he taught us to love God and to forgive. He was the type of person that if a neighbor needed to go to the grocery store, he would take them, you know. Uh, if you needed something, that's just how my daddy was. He was probably one of the most, he wasn't like excitable like most people. If something was going on, my dad would be just as calm and you'd be like, well, what's wrong with him? Why isn't he, you know, he wasn't like that. He was very calm through whatever went on. And he was just a great man and he, he just so didn't deserve what he got. He didn't, he didn't deserve to just be picked out randomly. And then to add insult to injury, you tape it while you're, my father is begging for his life and you call that human. And although he did that, I truly can say, I don't even feel any animosity against the guy that killed my father. I don't, I don't, my heart, and I'm glad that my parents taught us to love people and to forgive, forgive even when they do us wrong. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, you can't get any wronger than taking somebody's life. But my dad would be the kind of person that would say, forgive. you gotta forgive. That kind of thing just baffles the world. I, I saw other interviews where commentators were saying, well, this is what they said. We weren't expecting this. It just baffles the world. But that family knows that they can't carry hate with them for the rest of their lives because hate grows like a cancer and it just eats you up. And it's the same way with offense. Offense just spreads through your heart and your mind like cancer and it gives birth to bitterness. It gives birth to hate. And you become the kind of person no one wants to be around. Listen, I want to see you healed of any offense in your life. I, I want to see the traps that you have hanging off of you uh, in your spirit and hanging off of your tongue that, and the, the ones that hanging off of your heart. I want to see all of those things fall off of, off of your life. If you have several people against whom you're holding grudges, if you're hold, holding an, an offense against them, then you, you probably have several of these spiritual traps hanging off of you. You've grabbed hold of that offense and it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. I'm wondering how many of you have an offense right now. It could be a family member. It could be something from years ago that you've been carrying around. It could be from church. It could be from a friend that stabbed you in the back. It could be anything. You have a trap hanging off of you and, and you need to surrender your offense to the Lord. God said, 
that vengeance is his. It belongs to him. It is not yours. It is not your right. Vengeance belongs to God and to God alone. In fact, justice belongs to God and God alone. Some of you have been holding on to an an offense for so long and God has been trying to remove that burden from you, but you've almost been, it's like you're afraid to let it go. You're afraid that if you forgive that they're going to get away with it. Listen to me. It's not your job to exact vengeance or justice. That's God's domain. He will deal with it, deal with them justly. Jesus said, if we don't forgive those who sin against us, then our heavenly father won't forgive us our sins. That means this is life and death for you. That unforgiveness is not hurting that other person at all. They're going through their life, experiencing life, completely untouched by your unforgiveness. But listen, it is draining the life out of you. It's draining the life out of your family. It's draining the life out of your relationship with Jesus. Today is the day to get right with God over this. If that's you today, I want you just to lift your hand right now and say, Pastor Dave, pray for me. I need God's help to let something go. I I, I need to forgive and I need forgiveness myself. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now all over this place? Yes, there are several hands. Anybody else? All right, everybody stand. Everybody stand. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you just to come and lay it at the altar. I know this is the hard part for a lot of us, but listen, you've got a family rooting for you. There's nobody here judging you because we've all walked down that same road. So I want you to come to this altar and and find forgiveness because my unforgiveness is a sin against God. So I need to find forgiveness so that I can give forgiveness. Would you just do that right now? If you need to come and you need to forgive, would you just step out? Come. You you can stand. You can kneel. Whatever you want to do. Just come and lay it at the altar. And listen, whether you're on the live stream too, you, you you need to respond whatever the Lord's saying. And I want you to think of the person that offended you. Think of the person that offended you. And I want you, especially down here at the altar, I want you to begin praying for them right now. Pray for them because it's impossible to hold unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone for whom we've been consistently praying. And I want you to pray this prayer. In fact, everybody pray this prayer to to encourage those that are up front that are laying this at the altar. Everybody pray this prayer. Jesus, I choose to forgive. Pray it out loud. Jesus, I choose to forgive. I choose your way. Right now, with your grace, I choose to forgive. Now, I want you just to begin to whisper the name of the person or the people that you're choosing to forgive today, whether it's mother or father or family member or ex-wife or ex-husband or your employer or friend or, or whoever it is. I just, just pray and just say to the Lord, say, Lord, I release them to you, God. 
I release them to you. I put them in your hands. Vengeance and justice belong to you. I choose to forgive. Lord, please forgive me for holding unforgiveness in my heart. When I, when I freely have received forgiveness from you, I renounce all unforgiveness and I choose to walk in grace and in mercy. And, and just pray. Say, Lord, I ask you to tear down every wall that I have erected between that person and me. And I ask you to tear down every wall that unforgiveness has created between you and me. I don't want this in my life. So I surrender every offense to you. And Father, I pray today that you would break every chain of unforgiveness in this place today. I pray that you would heal hearts, that you help us to walk in your grace. Give us the courage we need to make things right between other people and ourselves. God, if there's someone we need to go to to make things right, give us the courage and the wisdom to do so. I ask you, God, to do a work that only the power of the Holy Spirit could do. Let there be healing in hearts and minds and spirits and families today. Fill us with your love. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.